Welcome to Brook Talks America and our weekly podcast series, Tactical Tuesdays, with Joe Dolio, author of the Tactical Wisdom book series. So in previous podcasts, we've discussed how his philosophy... Um, his philosophy and how he got into doing preparedness training, writing, he's a Marine, of course, that's one of the reasons I'm assuming, writing his books on what to know in a without rule of law situation with which we both anticipate will be happening at some point in the hopefully distant, but possibly near future. It seems likely planned, unfortunately, uh, as well as what we can what can be called the very first steps of in preparedness training. So which are to know your local areas, ingress and egress points, how to navigate them, including with paper maps if the power goes down. Very important. We, you know, we talked about it. This, this monster Charles Schwab has been talking about, I forget what he called it, like the pandemic of the grid or something like that. So you never know, but it's always good to have paper as Joe demonstrated. So in this show, we're going to discuss chapters three and four of his book based from the baseline training manual, uh, which you can either get on his website, preferable or at the evil monster, Amazon, whichever works for you. And I do recommend that you listen to the first two shows to get the background, which you can find on my website, brooktalksamerica.com. So in chapters, or welcome, Joe, of course. Thank you. For, <laughs> um, so chapters three and four deal with minimum first aid kits and supplies. And again, the time to be prepared is not when you're in the emergency, but before. So you're ready to go whenever whatever happens goes down, which is why we're doing these podcasts to inform you. And I have learned a lot already just from reading, you know, just from doing the podcast and reading the book, a lot of stuff that I didn't know. And uh, to preface again, like in the previous podcast, we discussed that a lot of this stuff was learned in Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, you know, for years and years and decades and decades, if not, you know, a century or so. And now with the elimination of Boy Scouts, some of the technical stuff at schools, like kids just don't know. I mean, it was like two or three years ago, they were talking about some, you know, I don't know, Abercrombie or something. Literally, I don't know if you heard about this, Joe, but literally selling jeans that for like $400 that looked like they had been run over by cars and everything like that, that looked like the people had actually done physical labor. Did you know that? I did. I did. Oh, is that insane? It is insane. I would throw away <laughs> jeans when they look like that, but Hey, what do I know? <laughs> okay. So in the chapter, in chapter three, we're going to go by chapter to chapter segment by segment. So it's minimum first aid skills and supplies. And, you know, we've talked about this before, you know, mocking sort of some of the prepper shows and everything like that. But a lot of people, you know, and we, we see this on Twitter, a lot of people, when they talk about the, you know, when it hits the fan, all they talk about is ammo, 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 guns, guns, guns. They're not really talking about even, even like basic stuff, like, okay, you're going to have a bug out bag. Well, like what goes in the bag and what do you need and what are you going to need it for? That's what, you know, the, the, what we covered in the previous chapters is like really scouting out your location, knowing where to go, where not to go. So this is what we're going to talk about today with this is like, you know, in different scenarios, things that people aren't even thinking about. And, and you and I have spoken before on the issue and we'll get into it on like, you know, simple medication, even something like amoxicillin. Like if you don't have a pharmacy that you can go to, what are you going to do for stuff like that? And you have a plan, you have it in the book. And it's, it's it was stunning to me, but very cool. So we're going to address it all. So the preparedness skill that you need to have most is the, is first aid, right? And absolutely. Yeah. 
So I want you to get into the basics of first aid. And, and in the, you know, in the first couple chapters, you talk about the, the Red Cross and everything. But this one, and I want you to talk about those specifics. But you have in here an AED class. I want you to talk about the other options and explain what that is, because I don't even know what it is. Okay. Well, so first of all, every time we, we talked about the prepper thing, uh, you, you just mentioned it a minute ago. Every time I meet with a group that, that wants me to assess their readiness, uh, they tell me exactly what you said, right? <laughs> I, this number of rounds of ammo, we got this many years of food. I say, okay, in the next five seconds, I want someone in this room to hand me a tourniquet. Ah, uh, yeah. They all look at me like I've got three eyes. Yeah. And they're like, well, I have one, but it's in my gear. You could need that tourniquet today. You could be driving home, come across a car accident, someone is bleeding badly. So why I put first aid as the first hard skill to learn in the book is because you can use it today. Mm -hmm. It is a common preparedness skill you're going to use at all. And it's really a misnomer because in the environment we're talking about where police and fire services aren't necessarily going to be coming, it's actually only aid, right? You're, right. You're not, patch yourself up until you can get some stitches, the hospital might not be running or your injury might be to them considered untreatable because they have other issues to deal with. Mm -hmm. So understand that first aid is that important. So you need to get out and find some training. Um, reading a book is not going to be sufficient for you to learn everything you need, right? Or even YouTube. Or even YouTube. Oh my yeah, God. Don't you got to have hands on with this, right? There's so much bad information on YouTube that, it, that it's silly. <laughs> But um, the American Red Cross has a lot of classes. Your local fire department probably has a class. Now, the Red Cross will let you do an online first aid course, but it's really not a substitute for getting out and practicing it. Um, but the other class that they offer is CPR, and um, you have two choices. You can take a CPR class alone or CPR and AED. The AED is the automatic external defibrillator. And you see these in businesses. Uh, businesses are required to have them now. It's early intervention for a heart attack. So if someone is having a heart attack, you you pull the AED off the wall, you put the leads on them, and really the machine takes over from there. The machine tells you what to do next, right? So um, it's it's important to get that class uh, because again, we could be using the skills today while we still have law and order, and there are still things coming. You could save a life today. Also, though, um, let's just say that society has completely collapsed. Your city's been looted. Um, but you're gathering up what medical supplies you can find. There's a, a store that's been burned out and looted, but there's an AED on the wall. You can grab that and use that and hold on to it um, in case you need it. There, oh, there will cool. be supplies everywhere that you can just grab onto and hold on to. I get it. People say, oh, but you're stealing. In that situation, the building's already been burned down. I'm holding on to something that might help somebody, right? Um, and, and I'm writing about this in my in my third book that, when you think about grabbing a fire extinguisher from a vacant business or a ladder to be used to defend your property, you can always take it back when things are restored. Right. Um, but at that point, life safety is more important than that empty business needing an AED on the wall. Right. So, right. Um, and you can actually get that because you know what it is. You're not just looking at it and say, oh, there's some box. I don't even know what it is. You're yeah. looking at that because you know it and going, wow, I can use it for this. And I see some dude having a heart attack over there or something. It absolutely be needed. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not doing anyone any good in a burned out building. Right. So um, an AED class is an important thing to take. Um, you, you could be saving lives today with it. 
Um, that's and something you mentioned here, which is interesting, is like you talk about CPR, but you also talk about infant CPR. So how different is that? Um, well, there's going to be less pressure. That's uh, it? Technically, yeah. Technically, an infant's okay. heart beats much faster than ours because they're smaller. Okay. Uh, but we're still going to use the same number of compressions. And rather than using your hands, you're going to use your fingers. Um, but again, I'm not a medical expert. Uh, a medical guy would be a good one to talk to. But when I learned it, it's fingers. Uh, and we do it a little bit less. I've also taken a pet CPR in first aid class. Interesting. See, we don't yeah. think about that. Absolutely vital to know. Um, our pets are parts of our family. And, and really, in a survival situation, a dog is a life-saving device. Uh, he's been man's best friend for millions of years for a reason. Uh -huh. uh, and you need to be able to keep that dog safe and running and, and operable, too, just like the humans. Absolutely. Had never thought about pet CPR. Such a great point. So you you talk about the resources, the Boy Scouts of America, uh, the first aid and life-saving merit badge pamphlets. Where do you get that? Uh, you can get them online. Uh -huh. um, but I would not get a, a, a modern version. I would get one probably about 10 years old because Lord knows what they're teaching now. <laughs> uh, Woke Johnny and the and the uh, the right? tranny stuff. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So you don't have to use a barrier anymore because it's it's rude to use a barrier. So you don't trust people. But um, my point is, is that the physical skills of first aid haven't changed. Right. You still splint somebody the same way. You still bandage somebody the same way. So get an older one. They were a lot more in-depth in their knowledge. The best Boy Scout book you can find and you can buy it online is the, the the 1911 Boy Scout handbook. It's got seriously legit skills in it. It's a great. Book. Really? OK, so I'll be putting that up on the on the social media. That's a good point. Um, so the you in understanding the situation and I, one of the first things I, you address it later, but one of the first things you talk about here and you, you already discussed it. So being able to save a life today. So you have all these skills and everything like that. And you talk about how in your, you know, in your lifetime, you have come upon car crashes and everything like that. Nowadays, especially, we're such a litigious society. And in the first, even the first few lines, I thought to myself, I thought, wow, what about legal? You know, we're, we're going to be talking about, you know, when the without rule of law and everything like that. But just generically, if you're going to be doing something on someone else, what are the legal implications? And you you mentioned in here about the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan Act. And I think it's important for people to know that there is coverage if you do come across someone. So explain that a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, every state has what's called the Good Samaritan Law. And it says that if you come across someone who is um, who is injured and you try in good faith to render aid, you can't be held liable for, for anything that happens. And where you most see, often see people worry about this is in giving CPR. CPR, it's very common to break or crack ribs while doing CPR. People say, well, I don't want to be liable for that. The person, if you're going to do CPR on them, is already dead. So the worst mm. possible outcome is that they stay dead, right? Wow. Um, and the best outcome is that they live. Wouldn't you rather take that risk? And knowing that the law in, all, in, in every state protects you in that situation, you should still jump in and help. I really couldn't live with myself if I was so worried about liability that I didn't try to save a life. Right. And well – you so see the you see the situation in Philadelphia where they assaulted someone on the train and nobody did anything. Uh, that's that sickens me. And <laughs> I, I'll tell you, people say, yeah, I was worried about the liability. Are you out of your mind? Yeah. What about the liability for failure to protect the woman? 
I, I'm sorry. I, that would have went way differently, and I'd probably still be in custody today if I'd well, been around. Yeah, and in that situation, like, and of course, there are tons of other ones. We're seeing crimes all over the, you know, with the Democrats in these cities. They're doing it on purpose to because so, they want to federalize the police. But it's like crazy crime. I just thought to myself, did nobody even have? Okay, so you, I'm assuming, I don't know that much about the gun laws, but I'm thinking, did nobody have anything that's non-lethal? Like, you don't have a zapper, you don't have a spray, you don't have something at all in that train? And that's the mentality, I think, and, you know, and I want, you know, in those situations is like, I guess if you can't carry a gun, you don't carry anything. But I mean, there were plenty of things that could have stopped that guy and not even hurt him, which I wouldn't be concerned about hurting. I would crack him back of his skull, watch his brain bleed out. But like something, even if you had uh, pepper spray, you spray him right in the face, it's going to stop. It's just sick. I don't recommend the pepper spray because it'll spray back on you. Mm. Um, this is what I recommend. Two things. One is called a tactical pen and you can buy them all over. Oh, I have five of them. Yeah. Steel pen that you can defend yourself with. Yeah. But one that's even more innocuous than that, that, that I've taken into courthouses and on airplanes and it's a zebra F 703 pen. And it's just a regular ballpoint pen, but it is a stainless steel case. Uh huh. So it's not going to break. And if I jab you in the ear with it, you're going to listen to me. Or anywhere else, if you're if you're harming someone and I hit you with that pen, you're gonna know you've been hit with something, and uh, you're gonna pay attention. Yeah. So, and that's a non-lethal thing. You don't need a, a concealed carry. It's just, I mean, there might be implications on some of that stuff, state, municipality, but it's not. You have to have something. Something. You know, when we teach self-defense, we recommend too pulling out a tube of mascara. If I take a tube of mascara. And I stick that just underneath someone's ear as he's assaulting someone else. And I jam that in. He's going to stop doing what he was doing. Below the ear? Just below the ear. There's a, you take your finger and you reach right behind your ear and just below it and press towards the center of your head. It's not going to feel very well. Oh, yeah. I'm doing it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, mascara right there. Interesting. So, or well, perfume. If you had perfume, you spray it in their eyes. That works too. That yeah. works too. Yeah. So the point well, is something, huh? And the self thing, understand this too. I mean, I'm sorry, the first aid thing, understand that everything you do in that situation is to the benefit of that person. Yeah. So um, it's going to be an uphill battle for them to make any sort of a legal claim against you anyway. And the other thing is, is that once without rule of law comes into it, all of the licensing requirements and things like that are going to go out the window and no one's going to be stopping you if, as you're treating their gunshot wound to say, are you a paramedic or an EMT? <laughs> yeah. Just treat that wound and, and deal with what comes in front of you. Do yeah. what you. Okay. So you have in here where it, it, like understanding the situation part and you talk about something again, like, a comprehensive understanding of whatever your situation. So I live in central Florida. It's, you know, 87 degrees. You live in Michigan. So it conceivably be what, what's the temperature today? Uh, well, today it was in the fifties. Okay. So that's, that's nice. Is that how it usually is late October? Um, yeah, it, it's roughly about what it is. All right. But it could be 27. It could be 17. You have other issues like what you call climatic issues. Talk about those. So climatic issues are, are injuries caused by the climate. You In, in your area, uh, heat exhaustion and heat stroke are very common. Um, yeah. And in my area, hypothermia is, is very common where 
you're getting colder than you realize. So a climatic injury, like like in Michigan, if you're getting hypothermia, you got uncontrollable sh- shivering. That's your body warning you that you need to warm up right now. And when you stop shivering, that's when the problem is setting in, right? That's when you're in full-blown hypothermia. The opposite is true with heat injuries. So if you're really, really hot and you're sweating and you're starting to get a little bit confused and dazed, that's heat exhaustion. When you stop sweating, you fall into what's called heat stroke, and it is a life-threatening injury. So um, your body does these things to warn you. Yes, sweat is there to cool you off, but when you're sweating a lot and you're starting to have a little bit of confusion because your body is shutting down other functions to try and cool you off, that's your body warning you that you need to get cool quickly. So you need to have plans in place to deal with climatic injuries. As human beings, we've gotten so comfortable that a mere variation of three or four degrees drives us crazy, right? Mm-hmm. So we, you know, as, as I keep mentioning, we go from our air-conditioned houses to our air-conditioned cars to our air-conditioned offices. We're not ready to be outside in, in Florida in a 98-degree day. We're not ready to be in Michigan outside on a, on a five-degree day in January. But we might have to be with mm-hmm. no, no air conditioning. So you need to have plans for dealing with those. And, and, and part of those plans, not just necessarily to treat them medically, um, is to acclimate yourself to that. Get used to it. Stop using the air conditioning or setting it so low and get out in the heat and do things. Uh, yesterday, I, I posted that um, I did a, a three-mile urban scouting hike. I saw that. Day. And it was a cold rain. And people say, oh, there's a bunch of people like, I couldn't do that. And this guy goes, you went three miles outside of a car on purpose. Uh, <laughs> But but that, that, that right there is symptomatic of the problem, right? Yeah. It's at, we've gotten so soft that people wouldn't even consider walking in the rain. You might have to. You don't get to pick the day. Right. Uh, so being prepared for climatic injuries like that uh, are important. Yeah. Yeah, we've gotten so soft on so many levels. That's one of the reasons we're in the situation that we're in. So, yeah. again, part of what we're doing to, you know, inform people. A lot of our mutuals are going to know this stuff, but some of them won't. And some of the elderly folks maybe get a little soft on it. So they got to get, um, you know, refreshed. So you have, uh, you're talking about, you know, we talked about the Good Samaritan laws and you talk about there's uh, there's no medicine in a fight and different aspects of like checking the scene, whether or not you should, whether or not you can help another person, everything like that based on your own safety. I want you to talk about um, the the assessment of, the injuries of yourself or another person. And you talk about the March algorithm is the best way to remember how to perform an assessment. I want you to explain that. Talk about it. Okay, so March is 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 a simple and easy thing meant to help you remember uh, the things that you have to check for on someone. So the first thing is the first thing is M, massive hemorrhage. I'm looking for blood everywhere. Mm. Um, if that is there, we start working on that right away. We stop looking for anything else and we deal with a massive bleed right away. The next thing to look for is airway management. Are they breathing? And then I also want to um, situate their body so that they can breathe on their own. Um, and that's where the next one, the R, respiratory management comes in. So airway and respiratory are kind of tied together, but not really. Airway is making sure that their tongue is not blocking their throat by positioning their head correctly. And respiratory management is making sure by looking at them or feeling for breath that they're breathing. So that gives us the MAR. C is circulation and shock management. So I didn't find a massive bleed. Now I'm going to go around their body and check for a minor bleed. Um, 
blood is is important. We want to keep anything that's that's wet and sticky inside our body, not not <laughs> body. So um, after making sure they're breathing and making sure they're not having a massive bleed, I'm going to check for a minor bleed that might be life threatening. It could grow that way. Um, and I also want to treat for shock by elevating the legs and keeping them warm and things like that. That keeps the blood flowing. And the last thing to check for is head injuries. Uh, we have to be very very careful in checking for those, but you want to feel around the head, make sure that there's um, not a massive bump or cut or opening. Um, and you also want to look at the, the eyes to make sure that they're equal and reactive. By, if you shine a light in them and one reacts and one doesn't, they probably have some type of a head injury. Uh, so okay. Quick and easy way to look at someone, right? Yeah. See if they're, they're injured or not. One way to do it. Uh, when you get to the circulation part, if you haven't seen a major problem, their breathing, everything is good, is just start running your hands over them and then look at your hands to see if they're wet. Um, this works well in the dark. Um, it's also, though, why I, I, I recommend – so many people get black gloves because I think, oh, look, these black rubber gloves look, look so cool and tactical. Uh, I recommend light-colored gloves because that way you can see blood on them. Mm, right. So. And that's interesting because we're going to talk later about uh, – some of the some of the items that you have for um like tarps and stuff like that you recommend not to do like the silver ones because you might be seen instead doing od or camouflage so it's it's interesting to see you know what yep. where you're going to use light colored things and, and dark colored things and the purpose of the march in general is just to make sure you do a quick determination of the you know yourself or the other person and see what's going you know see what's going on so you know how to um you know, to treat them. And one of the ways, uh, one of the components of that, and again, you mentioned it earlier, it used to be a tourniquet used to be considered the last thing to do. And now it is considered part of the first step method for, for the lay person, you know, who's not really familiar and briefly, how, what do you explain about the tourniquet specific types, you know, generically speaking, what they're for? Okay. Well, um, tourniquets are, are meant to control bleeding. And um, way back in history, when I first joined the Marines, we were still using muskets and riding horses. Um, they, tourniquet was the last resort. You tried everything else first. Mm. Now it's gone to, hey, put the tourniquet on, then treat the wound. And if you don't need the tourniquet, you can take it off um, because it saved so many lives. Um, most, um, most combat deaths are from traumatic amputation or loss of blood, right? Mm. So a tourniquet is a quick way to stop that and slow it down. Even if I'm using direct pressure with a pressure dressing, a tourniquet is going to help slow that down. Um, it shouldn't always necessarily be your very first thing, but it should be among the first treatments you, you do on a major bleed. Uh, yeah. Just to help the other interventions work faster. Does that make sense? And you should also be able to do it. You mentioned here uh, practice application applying a tourniquet on yourself with one hand so if you needed to do it whether it's someone else or on yourself to be able to do it practicing it that's right um you've got to be able to put it on yourself so here, here's the thing your individual first aid kit is for you right uh, if i come across another member of my team and they're injured i'm going to use their first aid kit on them keeping my own supplies for myself um so you, but having a tourniquet and not, not, not knowing how to use it, just like any other supply, is not going to help you. You need to practice how to use it. You have to practice a lot. Yeah. And the thing about it is, is people think they're practicing putting on a tourniquet because, like, oh, I put it on my arm, I tightened it up a little bit. You need to tighten it until you say bad words. <laughs> uh, that's how you know you're getting it tight enough. Mm -hmm. uh, 
So yeah. And unless you're a drug addict, you're not going to really be practicing that on a daily basis. <laughs> right, right on. Uh, but it's important to be able to reach it and be able to use it with one hand. Um, I had a guy show me his rig, and he keeps his in his in his ankle kit. And I'm like, oh, that's neat. What happens if you're shot in the stomach? And he, mm. he admits that he had never considered that because you'd have to use your abdominal muscles to reach down there to get at your first aid kit, and he's not going to be able to do that. So you right. have to put somewhere where you can use it and reach it. Right. Um, another thing that I wanted to mention is we're talking about doing the assessment. Many people who are in a high-stress situation don't realize when they've been injured. So if you get involved in, let's say, you know, a defensive shooting or a car accident, whatever, once you get out, take a quick look at yourself. You might not feel something, but right. you could, right? Uh, run your hands down your own back and look at them and just make sure you're not bleeding too because you might not have noticed it. And you hear that a lot of times people will be like, oh, I heard I felt a pinch and they're looking down. They got the arteries sticking out of their leg because they weren't, you know, they were so jacked up. They didn't recognize it. I'll tell you um, a long, 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 long time ago, uh, I stopped a shoplifter where I was working. That's what I did at the time. And uh, we get in this fight and whatever. We get him in handcuffs. I stand up and this sales associate screams and I'm like, what's wrong with you? She goes, look at you. And I look down and my shirt's covered in blood and I'm bleeding from where the guy hit me with a bottle. I didn't even know it. So Same. it's yeah. important yeah. that you take a look at yourself and just make sure uh, that you're not injured. Yeah. Okay. So you have, um, you talk about bandaging and um, one of the issues is before the first world war, infection was the number one killer in combat wounds. Something to really consider. Absolutely. Applying um, antibiotics and wound cleaning. Yep. Some kind of antibiotic, some type of wound cleaning. Um, I, I also have a spray bottle of uh, hydrogen peroxide uh, uh -huh. that's in my kits. Um, it's not a bad idea. You got to have something to clean that wound. Um, so I mentioned that pre-World War One thing because if all the power goes out and police aren't coming anymore and everything, we're back in pre-World War One days. Mm. I can't go to the hospital and get hooked up to an EKG. Uh, they can't use their autoclave machines to clean all their materials. We're back in that environment. So you need to think about how you're going to keep wounds clean. And, and I talk about this a lot on Twitter, and it's become kind of a meme and a joke. I talk about the cargo shorts. You shouldn't be wearing them in, in prepared, <laughs> right? Because if I get cut in the leg in a without rule of law situation, that leg is going to get infected, and I'm probably going to lose it, and I might even die from a small cut on the leg without antibiotics uh -huh. you have to think about that interesting yeah there's a lot of memeing about the cargo shorts it's very fun especially after the jorts with the uh the feds on january uh well or what was it september yeah the latest fed trap in september with brainerd that was hilarious so well, that's why I was kind of hoping that was hilarious Abercrombie and stitch I snitch I was dying I was kind of hoping we were going to get Demp on the show tonight because he and I would have that discussion. I know, I know. Well, hopefully, you know, we're, we're, hopefully we'll do one with him on on uh, what it's like to work on the oil rig. I'm going to have to convince him to do that. One of the issues, again, you know, these are all kind of we're being very conscious about it because we're doing the podcast and everything, but so many things that people don't think about, like what would you do about medicines? Very important. And you have, you lay it out here where it's, which is really good. And 
uh, I, two reasons. One is it like, cause you talk about getting multiple supplies of different things. One is if you get a bulk supply, you tend to get it cheaper. So that's obviously a good thing in general, but by getting bulk supplies, by, by using these things, you, so you talk about, you know, these are, um, medications, whether it's, you know, over the counter or prescription, different ways, you know, talk about some of the, the plans that people can do to get, you, you get your regular medications, but you can get a supply for your bags. Right. You know, this is something that uh, I, somebody asked me about. And I so I did a bunch of research on it. And um, it's because it's important, right? There are a lot of people who have medicines that they absolutely must uh-huh. have to survive. So one of the best ways to do it is when you have a, a mail order uh, program, they'll let you refill at 25 days instead of 30, right? Um, or if it's 90 days, they'll let you do it at like, say, somewhere around 65, 70 days, whatever, so you don't run out. If you order at that minimum time every single time, uh, within a year, you'll have an extra three to six months supply. Gosh. <laughs> Hi, doggos. Go hey. ahead. Uh-oh, the doggos are fighting. He has to go take care of them. Oh, whoops. I thought I unmuted. Sorry. That's okay. No, no, no. I was just, yeah. So um, if you if you buy them as soon as they are po- as soon as possible, you'll be able to build up that three to six month supply so that you have extras uh, going into any sort of a, of a situation. You won't be able to run to the drugstore and get anything. Right. So yeah. mail order is the way to go and order them as min- at, at the minimum possible date every single time. Yeah. Another good, another good, and I used to do this with my doctor, is to ask the doctor for some samples and you can build it up. You build up the separate one that way in addition to whatever you get, you know, regular prescription. Right on. And I tell people, um, use the samples, put the regular prescription away because the samples probably have a, a, a more recent date than the one. Oh, that that's were- a good point. Yeah. The other thing, too, is, is the amoxicillin that you touched on briefly earlier. Um I've gone to the fish store and bought the amoxicillin capsules and compared okay, them. Okay, so talk talk about b- b- do the background of that the amoxicillin because so, when people say amoxicillin, you 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 we, we we had been talking about it. You said oh you could get the fish supply. Talk about that. So there's been a long running debate about veterinary medications for humans, and um, like ivermectin, horse dewormer. <laughs> I was going to figure out a way to work that in there. Like second it's worse to warmer, horse dewormer. It, yeah. it actually was not horse dewormer first. Uh, that, that was secondary. Right. But there's all kinds of things like that, right? Like hydroxychloroquine. And then there's a different version of it that is for fish tanks. Mm-hmm. So amoxicillin is the same way. You can get amoxicillin for fish uh, without a prescription. And you can either get the powder, which is specifically only for fish. And it has other nutrients that are only for fish in it. Or you can get amoxicillin capsules at the fish store, sold under the name Fish Mox. So what I did is uh, to, to kind of put an end to the debate I was seeing everywhere, I grabbed some. Uh, I went and bought some at the fish store. Then I got out a bottle of amoxicillin that, that we had here from uh, from a doctor's prescription. They're the exact same capsule. And when you look it up on uh, on Rx Med, uh, it is the exact same capsule. So it is a more cost-effective way to get um antibiotics without a prescription yeah and to have them on hand what what is the uh what's the duration of those well here's the funny thing um 
we only put expiration dates on things because we feel like we have to. Um, most or probably the FDA requires it. Right. First, but yeah. the point is, is that they don't actually, you know, it's not like that medicine knows I was made on. <laughs> so on that date, I stopped working. Like it's like coronavirus uh, is only contagious before 10, 959 and not after 959. Right. Yeah. Right. It comes out at night and it only goes to bars. Oh, and only when you're standing, not when you're sitting. It's insane. Um, so that's exactly it. It may lose its effectiveness. So generally on any medication, you've got about double that expiration date and then it doesn't stop working. It loses its effectiveness and you might need to take more of it, but it is still somewhat effective. Um, so they retain 90% of their potency for at least five years afterward, uh, okay. according to most studies. Well, having amoxicillin is very important. Having some kind of antibiotic, antibiotic that you can have, you don't have to go for, is very important. So that's a good option. I have to get some actually for myself. Um, what about, do you know anything about amoxicat that's just for cats? Have you ever checked that or no? I have not checked that one. But all you got to do is get a capsule of it. Go online and search um, the just type into Google what it says on the capsule and it will tell you exactly okay. what it is. And when you do that with the fish mox, it comes up as the human amoxicillin. OK, so. yeah. Well, that's one of the things that they tried to go after Trump with hydroxychloroquine saying he was doing fish cleaner, fish tank cleaner. Yeah, it's not yeah. even hydroxychloroquine, actually. It's ridiculous. But, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the, what are the, what would we say, talk about some of the different OTC things that people should have. Well, see, that's their, the yeah. people think, well, I, I, I'm not sick, so I don't need all these things, but you don't know how things are going to play out and you won't be able to just run to the drugstore and get them. So, um, one of the most overlooked things that people, um, people don't even consider is anti-diarrheal medicine, like Imodium AD mm -hmm. or generic versions. Um, Diarrhea kills people every year now, and it will kill people in a situation where there's no medical care available because it causes you to dehydrate faster. Uh -huh. so Anti-diarrheal medications are absolutely important. Um, Benadryl, not only can it save you uh, if you have an allergic reaction to things, but it's also a sleep aid uh -huh. uh, and can be used to calm down people who are very, very, um, very upset, right, uh, if given in lower doses. You need to have some of that. You need some type of pain reliever, whatever is best for you, um, or having a mixture. Like you could take um, acetaminophen and Motrin and alternate them um, every every two hours instead of every four. Um, one of the problems, though, in getting stuff is things like pseudofedrin. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, I have stockpile of pseudofedrin because the DEA will come and knock on your door. Yeah. Um, and um, so you have to think about things like that ahead of time and figure out how you can get it. So I think in, in, in Michigan, it's like two boxes every 25 days or so. So those two boxes are actually a, I don't know, uh, actually like a 40-day supply. So if you bought them every 25 days, you would build up a little bit of a supply, but it's very difficult to do. Uh, and you'll probably get labeled as a meth dealer and they'll come yeah. knocking on Well, could you, could you, couldn't, you, couldn't you substitute like Mucinex for that? It all depends on what your particular affliction is, right? Yeah. Uh, if it's more allergy related, no. But if it yeah. is actually sinus infection related, then yes. Yeah. 
So, um, okay. So what is the, the, the minimum baseline? And here's the thing. So what is the cost, right? Of, of like, if you have for your minimum baseline, okay, I want to talk about some of the things that you have in there. What would you estimate the cost to be, you know, for the low end? I mean, we joke, like, you know, we've talked about this for fours, like everybody jokes about their, you know, their weapons, like they Gucci out their weapons. And, you know, it always comes down to, I always joke, like, you can Gucci your stuff all day long, but a Glock, even when it's dirty, will fire when it's necessary. So whatever. But a baseline kit, what do you think it's going to cost? I think that everything in that kit that I list there, you could have for under two hundred dollars. Okay. Um, and that's the thing; these guys will say, "Well, I don't have the money for that." But again, they drop three thousand dollars on a rifle full of stuff they don't need. Yeah, uh, just the dock stamp for a can is like two hundred minimum. Right, or an EOTech is five hundred. So yeah, just just silly. <laughs> uh, so so everything in this kit is going to run you under two hundred dollars, um, and, and I even think two hundred is a bit high. Um, because here's the thing, when you look at things like trauma pads or abdominal pads, which is really just a trauma pad, you can buy those at Walmart for a dollar, or I can go to a high end medical store and buy them for seven, $8, but they're exactly the same thing. So why wouldn't I just buy the, buy the, um, so everything in here, um, will cost you under $200 and that includes something to hold it in. Um, but again, don't buy anything that you can't use. The reason yeah. why I say it might be up to $200 is the clotting agent is expensive. Quick clot or Sealox. Um, it, it, what it is, is a powder. Uh, it's either a powder or a gauze that you pack into a wound that stops bleeding uh, much quicker. It reacts with your blood to seal it off and stop the bleeding. Um, so that's a little bit pricey, but it's worth having. But I mentioned in that first kit there, a nasopharyngeal airway. Everybody goes, all right, cool, sweet. I'm going to go get a nasopharyngeal airway. And then they have no idea what it is or how yeah. to use it. They have it. But dang it, I got one because that guy, Joe D, said, get one. Right. Um, get one. Which learn- is why they have to go take the classes and get the training before they get the kit. Exactly right. Exactly right. And you know what? If you're going to a basic first aid class, it's probably going to be taught by somebody who's an EMT or a paramedic. Uh, say, hey, listen, uh, you didn't cover it, but I've got in my kit a nasopharyngeal airway. They're going to be thrilled to hear you say that because that could very well save a life because it keeps the tongue from blocking the throat, uh, especially if you have some type of a mouth injury. And they're going to show you how to do it real quick. Yeah, uh, I might even do it on you, which is not very much fun, but you'll learn because <laughs> uh, <laughs> you don't want to go through it again. Yeah. Uh, but the point is, don't ever put anything in your kit that you don't know how to use. Um, like when, when you look later on, I talk about some additional things to have uh, a needle for tension pneumothorax. Uh, I literally have one sitting right here on my desk in front of me and all these guys who think they're ultra tactical. say, yeah, I got my, my tension pneumothorax, you know, right here in my gear. It's right up here by my tourniquet in case you need to use it on me. The odds of you ever needing to use a needle to reinflate a lung are very, very, very slim. Uh Um, but that's the one thing everyone wants to get, but they don't ever learn how to use it. They saw a YouTube video, like you said. I didn't actually get out and learn how to use it and practice it. I, I, I went to a class down in North Carolina and we spent half of a day doing it. You need that level of skill before you even consider putting one in your kit. And you better check legal, by the way, if that's covered under the goods. Is that covered under the Good Samaritan law? As long as you are trained in how to do it, yes. Wow. You can't be doing things that you're not trained to do. Um, Did you ever see the movie The Heat? 
I think so. Who's in the heat? With Sandra Bullock and uh the, oh, the fat girl where they the guys the guys choking and they all they have to do is the Heimlich and she cuts his neck open. <laughs> yes. You never saw that? Yeah, I did see that. Oh, it was crazy. That's what I was thinking of when you said that. I was like, oh yeah, these people are just gonna go cut the neck open and then they don't even know. Okay, so you have all these. So the 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 point is you have to get the book because all of these specifics and some of this stuff again, you know, I mean, we talked about a lot of very generic stuff. Some of this stuff is. terminology like you know the days of pharyngeal these are terms that people won't necessarily know get the book read the stuff you know take time to really know it and then learn everything and then you'll know what you need he he mentions it in there so the very baseline standard talk about your your you know the products that you have in there it's one of the best parts about this book is that it's full of checklists and baselines you follow and but resources then, like you have for the american red cross website safety council etc right so so the baseline standard at the end of each chapter is where you need to be on a daily basis right now to be mm-hmm. prepared so basically it says you got to have your own individual first aid kit and a vehicle first aid kit those are not the same thing the vehicle one's gonna be a little bit bigger and it's gonna be more geared towards a car accident right mm-hmm. so have a kit for yourself and have a first aid kit for yourself now I didn't put it in here, but having them, the next thing to do is to carry them everywhere you go, right? Um, so, so have those kits, carry them. Own at least two tourniquets. Uh, I've got, I think, four uh, because I have two legs and two arms. So I have four tourniquets. Good point. Uh, uh, and you have to carry those everywhere you go. I remember one morning getting my bag around to leave, and someone says to me, why do you have a tourniquet in your backpack? I said, well, in case I get shot. So I said, what's your plan in case you get shot? This person says to me, I don't plan on getting shot. (laughs) To which I replied, no one ever plans on getting shot. Right. Uh, So you got to have the gear with you. Um, So after getting your tourniquets, obtain your CPR and AED certification, uh, which generally comes with a first aid class too. Uh, and be able to apply a tourniquet, bandage wounds, apply a pressure dressing, which is uh, which is a dressing you put on 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 in a puncture wound that's bleeding, and it puts pressure on it to help stop it. Um, be able to splint an extremity and conduct the march assessment. Knowing those will have you at a base level of preparedness uh, in order to take care of yourself and others uh, in, in a crisis. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to go into, and then the, at the end, the resource, you have the, the American Red Cross, the National Safety Council, Boy Scouts of America. And remember, he said the 1911 uh, book. Boy Scout Manual. Yeah, the Boy Scout Manual. And then your local health and fire departments. And again, we discussed this in previous podcasts as well. So by this point, you know, you want to make sure that you have the first three podcast, you know, the first two podcasts under your belt so that you get the the background information. And one of the things I just want to mention, I mean, this is not, you know, this is not a quote unquote religious, you know, podcast or anything that we're doing but and we discussed this in the first podcast it's very interesting to me you know because in each chapter you have a quote from the bible and it's like you based this on your uh what was the program man every man a warrior every man a warrior yeah Uh, and stories of preparedness from the bible yeah um one thing that people don't know is there's a lot more in the bible than just rules you have to follow yeah There are all these great stories in there, and and the basic of it is that God wants you to live, and he wants you to be prepared to live. Um, 
So that's why this particular quote here from Revelations is in here. People go, oh, my God, he's quoting Revelations. That's a bad thing. <laughs> really, um, the Church of Latter-day Saints has based most of their preparedness stuff on this verse. Uh, the woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. That's three and a half years. That is a good line to start with. It's yeah. odd that they have such a specific number, but if you prepare to be able to sustain yourself and your family for three and a half years, you're in a pretty good spot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you you mentioned in here that the there's the ultimate tactical handbook. Is that something you know? I I haven't heard about it. Is that like the biggest book that people read or something? Ultimate tactical handbook. That is yeah. the book. Is it? Oh, okay, okay. But you you say here, unless unlike most books on preparedness, you're not going to focus on firearms. And again, we talk about how everybody talks. It's the first thing everybody talks about. Oh, I got you know. 8,000 rounds of ammo or something like that and 45 guns. It's like you can't eat that ammo and you, you know, unless you can shoot some animal, you're going to have no water, no food, but you're going to have a bunch of, you know, weight of ammo to carry around and guns and you're not going to have the other stuff that you need, like first aid and stuff. Exactly. You're not going to be able to carry all those guns anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, so in, in this in this section, I just talk about you have to be able to address the the basic needs to survive, right? First aid, got to be able to take care of yourself. You got to have some sort of shelter because the weather can kill you. Um, you got to have water or a way to get water, and you got to have food or a way to get food. If you can address those things, you're going to be in much better shape. And this is really, you know, the specifics of this are very important. So water, you without water, you're going to die in three days. Without food, you will die in three weeks at the latest. And how long can you stay with without air? Well, the whole thing, we call this the rule of threes, right? Uh -huh. You can survive three minutes without air, holding your breath, whatever, right? For about three minutes uh, or in icy water, because icy water will also make you not able to breathe. Right. Um, you can survive three hours without shelter in a harsh environment, like a hurricane, something like that. Um, you can survive three days without water and three weeks without food. Three, 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 three. If you can remember the number three, you know what you got to be dealing with. Yeah. Now, with regard to shelter, because um, this, you know, being this is an audio podcast, it'd be it'd be great to to show this in person. But just generically talk about shelter, talk about tarps, the the importance of tarps. And as I mentioned earlier, because you talked about the 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 light colored gloves to be able to check for blood. But in this scenario, when you're talking about shelter, the items that you want to have are dark colored because you may have to conceal yourself and you don't want the shiny you know because one of the things it's it's the blankets um they're very shiny on one side so you recommend you know talk about the things that you recommend keeping it dark so that you can be concealed and some basics on the shelter the how to yeah. do the you know the that sure so on shelter um Everyone wants to talk about tents. And have duct tape. Just want to mention you want to have duct tape for sure. Go duct ahead. Tape. Duct tape is like duct tape is is a solver for anything. You should have duct tape in your first aid kit, by the way. Yeah. Because duct tape will stick when wet. So Okay. Yeah. Good point. Um, um so in shelter everyone wants to talk about tents, but tents are bulky. They're kind of hard to kind of hard to manage and put in a pack and all that stuff. Now I've got a three man uh three man backpacking tent. That does fit quite well along the side of mine, but what's a better option is a tarp. Tarps fold up small, and they're basically the same material as a tent. One of the other problems you run into in buying tents is that they only come, generally, in bright colors. Mm. And 
if there are bad people about and there's no police coming to help me, I don't necessarily want to draw attention to myself with that bright red tent. So I can buy tarps uh, and tarps generally come in darker colors. I mean, there are the bright blue ones you can get, but you can find a camouflage tarp. You can find a brown tarp or a green tarp that's going to blend in a little better with the background. So what I bought uh, were U.S. Marine Corps because I, I don't buy anything Army. Uh, <laughs> they're woodland camouflage on one side and they're, they're brown on the other. So they can blend in in either a desert environment or in, in a wooded environment. But basically, tarps, you can use them in a lot of different ways. You can use it as a sleeping bag. You can use it as a ground sheet. I can string it between the trees and make just like a, just like an overhead cover that I can sit under. Or if I want to make a, 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 a tent out of it, it's very, very easy. You just make an A-frame. So I know this is audio, not visual, but you take the center of the tarp, you run a string between two trees, right, and lay the center of the tarp over it. So now you've got a tarp laying over um, – a string, uh, paracord is what I use, running between two trees. Then you take the four corners of the tarp and you pull those out with a tent stake and tie those down with. How some, big are the tent stakes? Because you um, have grommets, you have grommets in the in the tarp. Yep. Yeah. Now, these, the grommets are heavy duty. So what I get is those big, long, they're about a foot long, the nail type stakes, the really mm. big ones. Okay. Um, because you can use them for a lot more and they're a lot more sturdy. Um, and they so can I use a weapon those. if you need it. And it could be a weapon if you need it. And when you pull those tight, just at the four corners, with it laying across the uh, the string on top, you've got a nice A-frame, and it's just a tent shape. And it doesn't even have to be very high. You can put this maybe three feet off the ground, and you've got a very low tent that will keep you dry uh, and keep your gear dry and get you out of the weather and keep you hidden at the same time. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Tarps are more versatile than an actual tent. You got to have a specific kind of area for your tent. So, okay. Another thing you talk about is ponchos. So, my favorite survival gear after my first aid kit is a U.S. military issue poncho. Those things are the granddaddy of preparedness supplies. It's really just a tarp with a hole cut in the middle for your head. Mm-hmm. But um, the U.S. poncho is made to be used. One is a rain poncho, two as a sleeping bag. I can tie a poncho liner in it, and now it's a sleeping bag that's waterproof, right? And the poncho liner is just a big blanket, which will keep me warm. Mm. Um, but I can also, in a pinch, the poncho has grommets all the way around the side of it. I can make the same A-frame out of that as long as I tie off the hood so water doesn't fall through. I can lay that poncho over a line that I've tied between two trees and stake out the four corners, and the poncho is now a tent. U.S. ponchos also made with snaps along it so that if you have two of them, you can make a bigger tent. It's really meant for two guys to to snap theirs together and make one tent. Um, But you can make a single-man tent with just one. I keep two so that I can make uh, really make a tent for myself and then a shelter to put gear under. Right. Good point. So that's one way of doing it. You can also take that poncho. uh, A poncho and a poncho liner is a good spring and summer uh, sleeping bag, right? But if I add a wool blanket in there, it becomes a three-season or four-season sleeping bag because it's a lot warmer, and it's completely waterproof. The poncho is is a great tool to have, but get an actual U.S. military one. Don't right, get, like, right. they say, uh, Rothko military style. No, you want an actual military one. And uh, where do you get that? Uh, you On can the order Navy them store? online. eBay is a great place. Oh, okay. Um, um, you got to find a surplus store or somewhere like that. 
Um, they're a little bit more heavy duty than the than the military style ones you can get. Right. How much are they? You generally run about forty, fifty dollars, but they're okay. worth every penny. Okay. Okay. Good. Now, water, very important, and this is like it's multiple multiple important because people think, oh, well, I'm going to get water, water, water. I know someone who's actually doing prepping and got a whole ton of water, and it's like, okay, how much can you carry that? Well, yeah, if, you, if you had to bug out, how much could you carry? There's two things. There's two problems with storing water. Number one is that it's very, very heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, water, on average, weighs, um, I believe it's eight, eight pounds per five gallons. So it's it's not it's not something you're just going to carry around with you. The other thing is is that water stored in barrels and things like that goes bad after a while. So um, you would have to retreat it and things like that. You want to you want to be very careful about having a big water store because it's not going to you're not going to be able to take it with you if you have to leave. Uh, those who say I'm going to bug in, that's great. You can only bug in until you have to bug out. Right. Uh, the bad guys may come knocking, right? And you may have to Especially leave. if they know you have water. Especially if they know you have water. Um, I say this all the time. If you're in your neighborhood and everybody else is losing weight and you're not, they're going to knock on your door and ask you why. Yeah. Right. They're going to know you have food and water. So um, what's a better idea is work on the ability to purify water. And, and you know what? This is more important right now even than people think. So if I'm sitting at home and we talked about this last week, but if the power goes out at home, um, the backflow preventers at the local um, wastewater treatment plant are also not working because they're electric. Uh, so you need to worry about the ability to purify your own water even at home. So um, despite all of our great technological advances, the best way to purify water is still boiling it. But um, I give a few more options in the book about um, how to purify water on a move. And, and and one of my army cousins, he kind of he kind of said, man, you had to hit on the army in there because I mentioned in recent conflicts uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan, the army got away from everyone carrying a canteen right? because right. the army drives everywhere they go. And, and Marines generally do not. And, and the Marines have this institutional memory from World War II. They got left behind on Guadalcanal with only the supplies they had. The Navy left them because the Japanese Navy drove, drove them off. So the 1st Marine Division had to stay on this island with only the supplies they had on their back. They had to purify their own water. They do all this. So ever since then, Marines always carry two canteens on their belt everywhere they go, uh, along with the ability to purify water. So you should have your own canteens and water purification tablets or a way to boil water. Um, Boiling water is not good while moving because you can't just stop and start boiling water. So that's why I have the tablets to drop in there. You can also Plus, if you have a fire... You can draw attention to yourself. Yes, fires yeah. draw attention. Any fire you have should always be before dark. Um, uh, fire right. at night is like a beacon. Yeah. Uh, and really, you should only do fire like under cover of trees so that the trees dissipate the smoke too. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, on the water part, um, I have tablets for, for putting in the canteen. But you can also buy the, the uh, a straw-type filter. I have the Sawyer Mini, and it fits right on a camelback. So what I could do is in a hurry, dip the camel back in some untreated water, right? Close it up and then put my filter on the end of my camel back um, straw, uh, or I guess it's not really a straw, but the drinking tube on the camel back and it will filter as I drink. Uh. It's a great way to do it. Okay. 
in a hurry. So what you need is some way to purify and treat water, preferably multiple ways. So for me, I've got the tablets. I've got a source to start a fire and boil it, along with canteen cups to boil water in if I need to. And I also have the straw. Redundancy. I have several different methods of doing it. And bleach. Well, bleach is, is a way you can do it. And you have to be very, very careful. It's kind of gross, but. Yeah, it is a little bit gross. You have to you have to keep the beach the bleach exactly at five and a quarter to six percent. You can't go any higher than that, or you will end up dead. Mm-hmm. So I, I I put it in the book as a guide for people, but I don't recommend it for two reasons. One, you have to be exact mm-hmm. uh, in your measurement, and two, bleach does not have an infinite shelf life. If I keep bleach, it loses potency as it goes along. So then I would have to use more bleach to try and purify my water. And I'm a little concerned that I might poison myself. Right. So, so while you can use bleach, I don't recommend it as something you rely on. It could be an emergency method. But having the water treatment tablets is, is the best, don't you think? Yep. And then one you also mentioned here is a, having a coffee filter regardless, right? Yeah. So as I'm pour, taking water from, say, a lake or a stream – I can pour it through a coffee filter before putting it in my canteen to remove any large chunks that are in the water or large organisms that are in the water so they don't ever make it into my canteen and I don't have to worry about those either um, before treatment. Absolutely. See, little things, uses for different things people don't think about. Okay, Um, food, obviously. Now, this is another issue. So we talk about the guns, the ammo and everything. And I myself have some of those boxes. I I think I got, you know, there was a time where I thought I was going to get the prepper boxes. I have a couple of, you know, little cases of those, you know, my Patriots, not not dogging out my Patriot supply, but they always talk about the dry food storage and everything like that. That is not, you know, if you have some of that and you can afford that, that's great and everything, you know, rounding everything out. But that's not really what you're talking about when it comes to food. Talk about what do you what do you, you know the best options for food? Maybe in addition, like I said, you know every on those prepper shows you have people with the crazy bunkers with the crazy weapons that go in the bunker. They have fifty thousand gallons of or fifty thousand cans of food, including by the way, number ten cans, not the plan. Right, number ten. <laughs> Unless can- you're gonna bug in and you have an armory with snipers around you. Not 10, not number 10 cans. And I was a chef, so I know those are like ridiculous. So having so, a bunch of that's not the way. Go ahead. I'll address that first because it's it is, it's always on the front of my mind. You see people get them all the time and they're really cheap and you get a lot of food. Yeah. But are you going to eat that all right away? Yeah. If, if not, you're going to end up wasting most of it because it's going to go bad very, very quickly once you break the seal on the can. Yeah. So keep that in mind if you're going to buy number 10 cans that – they don't keep well without refrigeration. So you need to you need to have a plan to deal with that. You could have a root cellar and that could help, but I wouldn't exactly rely on it uh, in a time when I can't run to the doctor and get treated for foodborne illness. So what I talk about, rather than having a massive supply of food, is to build yourself up eventually to a three to six month supply of food. Now you can use the backpacking foods or the or the or the the, the my patriot or four patriots foods, whichever one you get. Um, but you only want to worry about getting a three to month, three to six month supply, enough to get you through a winter. Uh, after that, you need to be working on your ability to produce food. You don't know how long a situation is going to go on. And 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 I know the 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 Mormons, the LDS Church recommends like a like a like a five year supply or a three and a half year supply. 
that that's unrealistic to keep food that long because you don't know if you're gonna have to leave, you're gonna have to move, whatever. Have the ability to produce food, whether it's fishing, hunting, trapping, or growing food or gathering food. Um, those are better skills and a better investment of your time and energy than anything else. Um, I can buy packets of seeds for far cheaper than I can buy a whole bunch of food. And seeds are going to produce for me a whole lot more food than a can is. Um, but if you so are how buy, quickly? Yeah. No, how quickly will those seeds grow? Depends on what you're getting, right? Some things are short season, some things are long, and it depends on where you live. Yeah. Um, I, I'm in a bit more of a northern climate, so the growing takes a little bit longer. Um, and you have to know when to plant and all of that. But be, before that starts to produce, that's where your food, so your storage comes up, that three to six month storage. Okay, right, right, right. right. And that's where you're also looking at gathering foods and, and things like that. Mother Nature, uh, believe it or not, uh, did not intend when we first started this whole crazy ride on this planet for us to go to the grocery store. Um, <laughs> she didn't? No. The hell you say? No. <laughs> no, her boss, God, uh, made sure that this planet provided everything you needed to exactly. survive. Exactly. So and it didn't come in a box. Thank you very much. Right, yeah. It did not come in a box. And I'll tell you, I think that's where a lot of our cancers come from is the kind of things we eat. But uh -huh. um, nature will provide for you if you know how. So learn a little bit about what's edible in your local area. Learn how can you learn about that? Uh, you can go online. You can do research with your – usually your state department of natural resources will tell you. Uh, or you can buy books like the one that I have is the uh, the SAS Survival Guide. It's got a whole list of edible plants uh, in various regions of the world. Okay. Um, so buy some sort of a local survival manual or or, or talk to outdoors groups. Um, that, that's a great question. Get out there and learn. Uh, your State Department of Natural Resources is probably your best bet to begin with. Okay. Um, and, and find out what's natural that's edible. Now, are you uh, going to get on a list if you ask for that? <laughs> you might. I'm serious. You, no, like you, you talk about the Sudafed with the meth. You might get on a list if you're looking for survival stuff. They're they're starting to track that, don't you think? Yeah, I it, think it Merrick Garland is probably tracking that. It's listed on the Homeland Security's most recent uh, domestic violence extreme. Uh, extremist I heard that. Is that uh, people interested in preparedness <sighs> or canning for some yes. reason? Yes. Yes, I heard that. That's insane. That's your granny, man. Granny is doing that? I don't think so. Anyways, go ahead. So um, so you need to have that that portable food supply and then the ability to produce food after that. When I was growing up, my grandfather, uh, he, he lived on a river, and he had fishing lines in the river 24-7, almost year-round, and he always had fresh fish. Mother Nature will provide. If you learn how, she'll provide for you. Yeah. Now, some things that people don't think about. Backpacking stoves and fuel, that is something. But a can opener, like you can have all these, even if you had small cans, you got to, how are you going to open it? Can opener? Got to have right? a can. Um, what are you going to eat with? Got to have some field utensils, right? You got to have the tactical spork. That's what you got to have. Yeah. Where do you get that? <laughs> uh, you can get that really anywhere. You can get them at Walmart. You can get them at any outdoor store. Uh, go to the camping section. You'll see them. Okay. Um, but that generally has a can and a bottle opener on it as well. Uh, it's a great thing to have. Um, you got to have some sort of utensils. People don't, don't think about that very often. Yeah. Um, and you know what, there's a, there's a better kind of stove than the backpacking stove that requires fuel. 
because believe it or not, again, uh, as, as life goes on, there won't be anybody making more backpacking fuel and you might run out. Uh, but there are a lot of little stoves you can buy now that, that run on wood, uh, like a solo stove or a siege stove. They're basically just, um, some type of an aluminum or stainless steel can that you just light a fire inside of and it channels the heat upward and you can cook right on it using just wood and, 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 and sticks that you pick up from the ground. What do you think of Sterno? You think that that is that what, what's in Sterno? Is that going to be affected by if they stop making fuel? Sterno is an alcohol stove. Um, Uh so if you have a bunch, that's great. They'll, they'll last forever, but how are you going to carry them and where are you going to store them? Yeah. And sternos are actually meant more to keep food warm than to actually cook it. Yeah, that's true. At a slower rate. Plus, they could possibly leak, right? Or no? Do they stay solid the whole time? They stay solid. After you use them? I, well, they'll go back to a solid after oh, okay. uh, the flame is done. Yeah. Um, but actually, yeah, it, it's an alternative. But I, I, I'm always big on the no tech, right? If I can. Yeah. Get a little vessel that'll allow me to throw sticks in. So the seed stove, um, they're a company that just makes the, this stand. And the stove is actually not even a stove. The stove is you go to Ikea and you buy a silverware tray and that's what you light the fire in. And mm-hmm. what they make is the stand that holds it up. And um, all you really need is something that will hold wood for you off the ground and give you a platform to put a pot on or, or something like that or a can. Right. So um, that's as low tech as you can go. Yeah. Right? Well, that's, that's what we talked about. The last podcast is you have no tech, you have no, uh, no power, right? You always have to think about that. What, what, what can you do with a no tech, no power situation, which is why we talked about the maps, you know, the paper maps. Cause everybody, again, everybody thinks, Oh, I'm going to go look on your phone. Are you, are you going to look at your phone? to get this stuff? No, you're not. And you're also not going to be ready. So the, as we close up the baseline standard, talk about your, your items. Cause again, some of the people are not going to have the book, which you have to recommend, obviously go to tactical dash wisdom.com to get the book, read all his podcasts, you know, whatever's on the website and everything like that. There's, there are already two books and you're working on your third one. You said right now. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And we're going to do the, we're going to do the field craft one as well. So talk. And then my, my website, the podcast is going to be on my website. I'll be putting it on social media, brooktalksamerica.com. But so talk about the baseline standard for uh, what they need. So the base of what you need is some type of a portable shelter, whether it's a small backpacking tent, tarps, or the poncho. Um, Having all three is great, uh, but at least some sort of a tarp and a poncho. Um, You need some sort of a, a personal sleeping system. Um, a lot of people go with a three season sleeping bag, but they're very, very big. Mm. Um, the Ranger roll system is just a poncho rolled up with a U.S. military poncho liner. Both parts can be gotten for about $40, $50 a piece together. It makes the best sleeping bag you'll ever have. Um, and something to keep you off the ground, like an isolation mat or a yoga mat, something like that. You get at least two canteens or water bottles and, um, Along with that, at least one canteen cup and one canteen stove. So the U.S. military makes this whole system that goes together. It's a canteen, and it fits inside of the cup, which also fits inside of the stove. Mm-hmm. And they all ride on your belt together, and they weigh nothing. Really? So it all fits together. It's a great way to go. I always talk about military surplus, and a lot of people kind of tilt their nose at it. Millions and millions of dollars go into developing that equipment. Yeah. So we'll take advantage of it. It's all good stuff. 
and it's we it's, have won't it be with a since Vietnam. So yeah, won't it be always part part of the consideration of that is as light as possible. As light as possible, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So it is very good. Stop turning your nose up. The right military on. is awesome. <laughs> okay, so go ahead. Water bottles and a way to hold that on your belt because you don't yeah. want to be carrying them. Um, a portable filter or straw and, and or water purification tablets. I recommend both. Yeah. Like I said, the straw filter can go on your camelback. The tablets can go in your canteen. Uh, two to three work weeks worth of stored food or, or I'm sorry, stored water, wherever you're going to stay at to begin with, because you don't know when you're going to be able to leave. Right. So you can't store much more than two to three weeks without it becoming a, a space problem mm-hmm. um, and a weight problem and a weight problem. Yeah. And an optional thing to have, I mentioned the two canteens is a as uh, a water bladder. So the U.S. military camelback is 100 ounces, three, three liters. Uh, it's a good size. You can get them in two liters whatever, but some type of a camelback, they usually fit right in your backpack. And it's just a way to carry a little more water. I recommend at least two weeks worth of portable food. You can get the canned or vacuum uh, sealed foods or MREs, whatever, um, or and have some type of can opener to use it. I prefer the good old fashioned P38 just because I like the look and feel of it. And it has a lot more uses than just a can opener. Mm. And um, some sort of bottle opener, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And you can also use it to cut paper or cut other things and all kinds of stuff. Some sort of stove and cooking system. It's important. I mentioned the the, the, the wood burning stoves that you can buy. People say, well, why wouldn't I just make a fire? Well, if I've got the stove and the wood is contained in it, it's going to cause the heat to go straight up into my food as opposed to out into the air. The other thing is it has what we call a small footprint. You can't see the fire. Mm hmm from anywhere else because it's contained inside of the stove. Um, that's going to become vital. Security has to become a way of life. So I want something that contains that fire for me. Um, and some sort of a mess kit, something to eat your food on and in uh, that's easy to clean out, lightweight. Again, I go with military surplus. I've got a, I've got a Vietnam-era frying pan and plate thing that goes together, and it weighs nothing. Uh, I think it's aluminum, and it just fits right in the backpack. Excellent. All right. So that wraps it up for chapters three and four. And next week we will talk about basic survival kit, chapter five. And then chapter six is the The get get home bag. Yeah. So plan on that. So everybody go get the book again. If you haven't heard the podcast, make sure the previous podcast, make sure you hear, you know, you listen to them, get the background, very interesting story on how Joe started all this stuff. And, and tell your friends again, especially people that don't know any of this stuff, help them out share this podcast, tell your friends, tell them to get the book, you know, and and other stuff you want to entertain, you want to be informed, go to our websites. Joe's is tactical-wisdom.com for his blogs, for his books and everything. My website is brooktalksamerica.com, Brook with an E, all my articles, all my previous podcasts from the radio show. And this podcast, of course, I'll be putting it on social media tomorrow. So, force multipliers maximize the information that you have tell your friends because look the ideal is to you know the ideal is that what we have the information and we don't have to use it okay that would be ideal i mean the you know helping people saving lives if you could do that on a you know a generic basis that's great things are looking and 
you know, Joe and I are on Twitter a lot. We talk about Australia. I mean, you never, ever know. I mean, these people are psychotic that are running the world, that are running these governments, especially the people that are doing the lockdown, the people that are working on the Great Reset. You have no idea. And, the, and the, you know, we have elections coming up. You never know what's going to happen. There are always plans. So better be prepared now before you need it. You know, in um, in in the you know, I used to be a chef in the color. We say better to have and not need than need and not have. So the time to be prepared was yesterday. If you didn't get prepared yesterday, get prepared today and tell your friends. So thank you so much, Joe, for joining me on this week's Tactical Tuesdays on Brook Talks America. And we will see you next week. Sure.